Good afternoon, Troopadors, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of You Call That Radio's Audio Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the last show, which featured Trainspotting 2's Assistant Director, Gary Fraser. I hope you enjoyed the next episode, which involves US hip-hop legend B. Dolan. And more importantly, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which is an interview with the legendary socialist MP, Rosie Kane, who rose to prominence and infamy by going to prison while still being an, a Scottish MP as she was doing an anti-nuclear protest. It's an incredible story that takes us all the way from the Pollock Free State era of the early 90s right through to the Scottish MP days, the prison days, and right up to her new career as a storyteller, comedian, and a little bit of singing and poetry involved as well. She's got an amazing new show together. So yeah, uh, you're in for a treat today, a fascinating interview with Rosie Kane. Uh, before that, we're going to have a little bit of news. Apologies if you can hear some fireworks going on in the background. Uh, don't worry, they'll stop after the... I think we've, they'll, you'll probably hear them during the news segment, but they will stop when we start chatting to Rosie because the interview with Rosie was recorded a couple of weeks ago. You're in for a treat. I hope you enjoy the show. And uh, as always, thank you to our patrons who make this all possible. This show has has absolutely no sponsors, no funding, no adverts. So if you do enjoy the show, then please consider joining the Patreon for only £3 a month over at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. That's how we make things happen. So thank you very much to everyone who is supporting us. And enjoy this show. First up, this is the news. Sleaford mods have caused controversy by cutting their gig show and exiting the stage in Madrid, Spain, because someone threw a Palestine scarf on stage. Reports say this was the second time that the Palestinian scarf had been thrown on stage. Understand that Jason warned the crowd if they threw it back on stage, the gig would be cut short. Unsurprisingly, someone threw the scarf back on stage and naturally, that was the end of the show. This caused some waves online, which led to the result of this tweet from Sleaford Mod's official Twitter page. Comments are now turned off, but... As you can imagine, it was a bit of a mixed bag of responses. Now, I, th- I think the reason that this has disappointed and upset so many Sleaford Mods fans is this is a band dubbed the most political band of the last 10 years. I've been a fan myself for a very long time and even had the chance to interview Jason on You Call That Radio during lockdown. So, just thought I'd give my perspective on it and... What surprised me most is if they didn't want to make a statement on what's going on, then why not just ignore the scarf? Maybe someone who was at the gig can correct me on this. But to throw it back into the crowd and then threaten the crowd with walking off just seems a little bit out out of character. I mean, that was always going to end one way. You know someone's definitely going to throw it back and obviously you know that they're definitely going to leave the stage. And then the tweet itself has undoubtedly made things worse. 
To many, when you say you're not taking sides, it comes across like you're most definitely taking sides. We're witnessing a genocide in real time with around 4,000 children estimated to have died alone in the last few weeks. And I'm recording this on November the 5th, uh, 2023. And that's probably, I don't know if you'll be able to make out, but there's a lot of fireworks going off in the background. It's the 5th of November just now. Um, surely it wouldn't be controversial to demand a ceasefire at the very least. Innocent Palestinian civilians are largely without water, food, electricity, medical care as hospitals are being bombed. They can't even flee the country because the, the borders are being bombarded as well. So it may be true that uh, it says that they don't have an idea of what's going on. But I hope perhaps they'll take a moment to reflect and educate themselves on the matter. For a band that's made their name on very sharp-witted social commentary based around left-wing rhetoric, it just seems a bit off that they, they could have got this so wrong, in my opinion. Jason strikes me as a smart man, but also very stubborn, so a Twitter pile-on is not going to help change his mind. But maybe he can find it in his heart to review the evidence on his own terms and make amends. It's not easy when you're that famous. I've got a friend who was recently destroyed by Twitter replies for daring to support a fundraiser for Medical Aid Palestine last week. So it doesn't really matter what side you take or if you sit in the fence, there is going to be consequences. There's been a rise in both anti-Arab and anti-Semitic comments online and in person all over the world in the last month. This is very heightened, with fierce feelings on all sides. So I can I can understand the reasoning and not wanting to get involved. Choosing a side will make you feel the wrath of the internet. But so sitting on the fence and so well even being silent, you know, if you're a if you've uh, if you're a political commentator or a political musician or a political poet by not speaking out at all, speaks volumes as well. Silence is violence in its own way. But by throwing the scarf in, is a political statement. So, I mean, to be fair to Sleaford Mods, they do make clear that they're against the murder of anyone. They said that in their tweet, under whatever belief grid. So maybe they've just mistakenly went about this all the wrong way. And when I say they, I think it's Jason, I don't think Andrew's involved too much in this. I think it's... Um, the wording was from Jason, but the the wording of the rest of the tweet could have been a, had a little more clarification in what was meant, and hopefully, looking back, he would regret the the scarf incident. If they didn't want to get involved in all the drama, why not just ignore the scarf? Throwing that scarf and threatening the crowd was a political statement, and it does come across like sides had been taken. But whether he realised that at the time or not. Um, possibly not. When you're when you're in the middle of a live gig, there's a million things going through your head. The, the adrenaline's pumping. Uh, so perhaps he wasn't aware. The tweet was a perfect opportunity to clear things up, but that's undoubtedly made it worse. I'm sure Jason's probably aware of this in hindsight. Emotions are flying high. Twitter is toxic as fuck. So I can imagine, like, just wanting to just quell this. But... I hope everyone with a platform 
can use their reach for good and join the rest of the world in demanding a ceasefire at the very least. The bare minimum here is a ceasefire. I mean, it's it's not controversial to pressurise all world, world leaders to stop bombing children. Sleaford Mods are an incredible live act who specialise in sticking it to the British politicians and I hope they once again let the Rishi Sunaks and the Keir Starmers know that they have blood in their hands by standing idly by while an atrocity of this level takes place that we can literally see live streamed to our mobile phones. If you call that radio TV, how is everybody doing? We are live on your airwaves and I've um, got a brilliant guest tonight. Hold on, let me turn the background music off. I don't even know if you can hear me while that background music's playing, so let me know in the comments if you can hear me while the background music is playing. Uh, but yeah, it's an absolute honour to have tonight's guest, uh, Rosie Kane. I think we can go live to Rosie just now. Hello, Rosie, Hiya. can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. It's great to finally get you on the show. And I remember speaking about a month ago about getting you on before your show on Monday. And then last, I've been really busy with other stuff. And then last night, I think it was last night, I just remembered, I need a guest for tomorrow, for this week. <laughs> and luckily Hello. you are there and available. And it's, it's amazing. Thank you. you. Have a sh- Thank you very much. You've got a show coming out on Monday called Work in Protest. I have some images here of that. Um, so there we go. A work in protest, and it has my oath is to the people on your hand, which is the first time I think this is the first time I, rem- um, I remember. You. I didn't know you at the time or anything like that, but I just remember it being quite a big thing. I remember uh, we, I was still quite young, like too young, that young, not very politically minded at that age, but it was just kind of refreshing to see, um, even at my age. And I remember my mom being a big fan of your work as well, and just saying, "So, it, so you're basically just to fill people in. You're, you're you've just became. So just, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is you become MP, a Scottish MP, and you put your hand and you've got your oath to the Queen, and you wrote my oath is to the people. Is that what happened? And how long did you think about it? Did it just happen at the last minute, or did you think about it before you did it? Uh, well, first of all, to cut a very long story short. Uh, Scottish Socialist Party, so you would stand in elections just to push an agenda onto the platforms and into the media. The story was that you would never, ever get elected. It wasn't meant to happen. So I was agreed to stand as long as I was no chance of me getting elected. There was never a chance. And then the Iraq war happened. And so you're protesting against the war. You're standing on a platform during the elections. And lots and lots of people agree with you, which is a great thing. But then they went and voted for me. So I got the fright of my life. I wasn't even <laughs> that um, I addressed that in the show, actually, in my show, how that looked and how that felt and what happened in real life. Um, so that was the first thing. And then you have to go and swear in. It was third, uh, oh, but I don't know, maybe the 7th of May, 2003. And you have to go and swear in. So I, uh, you know, the oath, which I couldn't in all faith take because I'm, I'm opposed to the monarchy and everything it stands for. I'm a, for a socialist republic. However, because I didn't think I would ever be elected, I hadn't a mandate to not, you know, to not take the oath. I hadn't said to people, send me to Parliament and I'll not take the oath, I'll not swear to the crown. So because of that, 
I did not have the luxury of just refusing to do it and getting, I would get kicked out automatically. So I needed a speech bubble and that was me on the day. I mean, I wore a pair of jeans. I was a youth worker. I dressed for work. I wore jeans and trainers. And it was as if you'd have thought I had went in with an armor light, just wearing a pair of jeans. However, <laughs> my daughter was there and I said, I need a speech bubble. And um, she, she and I, I don't know, at some point, she said, I'll, I'll write in your hand. My grandson to me, just a wee devil. So um, she said, what, what, what's your speech? What's your speech bubble? And I said, I'm not here to say the nose to the crown, mullies to the people. And he went, right, wait a minute, Archie, you know. And she wrote my office to the people on my hand. I didn't think much here, but Tories and all that kept coming up to try and shake my horn as we were going in. And I knew there was much, so I was being more rude than normal. I was fist pumping up and all the rest of it. You know, Lord Douglas Hamilton, big man. So, um, and then when I went in and I unfurled my hands, I had no idea of this douche. I just thought I was doing a thing that mattered. Um, cameras, all that started happening. And then the rest of the day went by. And then the next morning, I'm back to my house in Govan Hill. And the next morning, I nipped in the shops for milk. I forgot it was an MSP by then, honest to God. And I went down to get milk. And it was in every front of every newspaper. And the man in the shop was just killing himself laughing. And <laughs> I saw downhill for here. I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was a state for then on. So my jeans and my writing and my horn, oh my word. And what did the media make of that in general? What was the, the general media reaction? And, um, oh, well, disgusted. A lot of, a, a lot of well, right-wing media were pretty disgusted. And, you know, they were, Are they not all right-wing media? Or was it a bit better back then? <laughs> they were all disgusted. There was a few bizarre things. One radio station, BBC Radio Scotland at the time. They wouldn't do this now, I'm sure. But at the time, they brought me in one of the mornings. And I thought it was to talk about politics and all that. And they had a woman in for a company called Colour Me Up to tell me what colours I should wear, what black, what was wrong with my blouse that I wore to Parliament. <laughs> that was the kind of crap that was happening, right? And it just, I was at my depth. I felt at my depth. Wait a minute, actually, I'm juggling here. Um, I felt at my depth because I was a youth worker. I was straight Pollock. I lived in Govan Hill. I was going into an environment that I thought there were all teachers and lawyers, you know, and seasoned politicians. And to an extent, I that that was the case. I was well out my depth. So I was scared. And then in the first day when you, you finally have to get up on your feet and say something about whatever it is, you know, probably the war in Iraq are probably an environmental issue. And I also spoke up for young people. Remember the whole Ned discourse, the awful behaviour of the parliament. Uh, calling young people Neds. So, um, you know, I mean, and, and people were going up and talking, using language I didn't understand. I, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And people were also, other MSPs were also using very convoluted, you know, complex statements and sentences. And I just shook with the hat. And they were awful posh, a lot of them. But however, when I did get up to speak, a lot of people didn't know what I was saying. I'm not even kidding. The record keepers at Parliament had to always ask me what the scunner to mean or, you know, things like that for the record. So I was doing all that, but I realised that I had tools in my toolkit 
that they didn't have, and that's working class tongue, and that's real streetwise working in Drumchapel with youths. I knew exactly what I was talking about. So it took me about a day and a half to gain the confidence I needed, and then it was just a pure rammy. I mean, me and my pal Barge for me and Carolyn Lecky and Francis Carroll were barred for the Parliament for protesting in the Parliament floor, and we were fined thirty thousand pounds for that as well. And that was our staff's wages. So what did we do? We went and saw the socialist movement in Europe and they raised the money for us so we could pay our staff's wages. Things like that were done yeah. because that happened. So, so what was the, what was the, because obviously we'll talk a little bit about the, the more famous protest that, that you ended up in Cornville. I know about that one, but the, the, the protest that you did inside Parliament, could you jog my memory on what happened with that one? Yeah, I can jog your memory. Um, it was the Glen Eagles. Um, the G8 Summit was coming to Glen Eagles. Uh, go and get your tablet. Um, G8 Summit was coming to Glen Eagles. Um, so that was Bush and Blair, Berlusconi. You know, people like that were all coming to, to meet there at the Glen Eagles Hotel. We in Parliament, um, Scottish Social Media, Carolyn and Francis in particular, um, wanted reassurance that we would be allowed to use non-violent direct action in a peaceful protest at Glen Eagles. And at first that was told to us and guaranteed to us, yeah, there would be nothing to stop campaigners and the lights going up there and protesting. And um, that was okay. But as it drew closer, we started to feel that there was a heavier police presence and different things were going to take place. So we then, on a particular day, anticipated... Hold on, I'm sorry about this. I'll be five minutes. <laughs> so um, it was a, we, we could feel... So on the day, it was First Minister's questions. I'm paraphrasing a lot here because it was 2004. And um, we decided to be prepared for Jack McConnell, First Minister then, Labour, um, not to assure us that police would not be able to put a, a boundary around Glen Eagles and the area surrounding it to stop protesters who come from all over the world. Um, we uh, anticipated a known answer and we were prepared. So here's the terrible, terrible, terrible thing that we did. So when we asked Jack McConnell in First Minister's questions, it was live TV, half an hour on a Thursday, Dead boring, right? It's her, and that was on. Um, Carolyn Lecky stood up and she asked the question for the reassurance that we would be allowed to make that protest. Not everybody would be allowed to make that protest. And um, what happened was we got a fluffy answer that, that that indicated that we could not guarantee that we could go and make that protest. So what we did is we just walked down from our seats onto the floor of Parliament holding up banners about um, the war in Iraq and we had a few different things. We were prepared for it. And our crime that day was to insult the parliament on live TV. That was our crime. I was never so feared in my life. We were When we stayed in the chamber, it was evacuated. The whole place was evacuated. The only person that stayed to look out for us was Marco MacDonald. She stood up in the wings and watched to make sure that nothing untoward happened to us. Um, because nobody was there. Security in the parliament were brand new. They're just wanting people. It wasn't them that were the worry. Tell you who was the worry. The rabid 
Labour MSPs. There was a handful of them at the doors as you were exiting Parliament and they, they were being interviewed and saying Rah, how bad we were for doing this and live TV disrupting democracy, blah, blah. When they were disrupting democracy by potentially stopping protesters exercising their democratic right to protest against world leaders during a time when we were at war or invading rather Iraq. So <laughs> we went to leave the chamber and there was some wee crazy Labour guys foaming at the roof and like that, you know, and saying all bad things. And the police advised us to leave through the underground car park. We had to leave through the underground car park, go up to our offices. Then I think the next day or soon after that, Parliament um, met, but they didn't allow us into the meeting and basically left Hangaroo Court and threw us out of the Parliament for... We weren't allowed down to the end of September. I feel as if it was months. Um, and we were fined £30,000. It was one of the harshest punishments of elected representatives that we could find in the world. The money that they were taking was our money that you pay your workers with. That was basically the money. So we were like, we already gave half our wages. We only took half our wages, which was still a. 10 grand more than I was earning in capital as a youth worker. So it's a good bit of money. But we couldn't buck up the workers' wages. So we had to then find a way of doing it. During Glen Eagles, we met up with Comrades Three um, Portugal, uh, socialists and Red Green Alliance comrades. And they said that they would put a group together at the European Parliament if we would come and talk to them. So me and my pal went there and, and we spoke to this green red group and they raised the money for us and that got us a 30 grand to go back and make sure that we had money to pay our workers and that's what we got for disrupting parliament and live tv wow something else and i'm having it? a quick look for anyway because i'm having a wee look for the footage and it doesn't seem to be easily yeah. accessible see when i wrote see when i had my office to the people um you get a picture of yourself swearing in the parliament gives you a picture it's a gift and when mine came, it was pixelated. You couldn't see what it said. So that happened. <laughs> I found pictures that were fine. But, yeah, the official picture pixelated it. The, the, and um, that's... Uh, hold on, here we go. Yeah, you can't... There's one here. What a show laugh. <laughs> it's class. It was, it was well done. I mean, you've got to do something if you're given... You've been asked to give it... I mean, do you, do you think that's one of the, the problems with the... Independence campaign is the fact that it uh, did it did it did go along with the whole royals oath to the queen type thing. Do you think a more radical independence would have got a yes, or do you think that it was necessary to try and keep your centrists and people that didn't want to rock the boat on board? You can only do it if you get a mandate for the electorate. If you're elected on a ticket that says don't go into Parliament. Sinn Féin is an example of that. So Sinn Féin wouldn't do the oaths and wouldn't go through the pomp and ceremony. So basically they couldn't participate in the parliamentary uh, situations at Westminster. So they had a mandate for any of the people that voted for them. There was never any question. Um, so I don't know if the public... I think a lot of the public would be fine with it. You know, it's hardly a royalist place, really, Scotland. Um, but you would have to have that. You couldn't get elected and then just decide to do that off your own back and say, right, I'm not taking my seat in Parliament because I need to swear an oath, an allegiance to a, a crown somewhere, you know, 
So you can only do it with a mandate for the public. So it gets complicated. If I was ever, and I will never, ever go back to Parliament anywhere. I wouldn't even go to the, the local community council. Um, but if I was ever in that situation again, I would seek a mandate and I would, uh, and if nobody voted for me because it, then you've done the honest thing. But if everybody did vote for me and say, yeah, we know they'll not let you in, but yeah, go and make that stand. So so it's a very difficult thing. You can't just do it off your own back and just refuse to go to Parliament because then your electorate are sitting waiting for you to represent them. You can't. And then, of Is course, the more... Is the more famous one, which um, I've got, there's another picture that I think you sent me, is uh, the, the the nuclear protest. So the anti-nuclear protest. Were you still an MP at that time? An MSP at that time? Oh, I was a new anti-nuclear protester way before I was an MSP. So I came up the public. But I'm not sorry. I mean when I see. I mean when you were when well, you were actually arrested. At that at that picture you had with the pipes. Yeah. On my arms. Aye, I was an MSP at that time. That's how an MSP should behave. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we were in there in an anti-nuclear ticket anyhow, but I had been at Faslane every year for a long time protesting and would be there the more if I could. Um, and so it was a point of principle. It's a no-brainer that, you know, and um, that was always clear. That was something that was clear. Your MSP might go to jail for protesting at Faslane. And, and on the motorway protests, I've done a lot of time been arrested and been in jail, but I had kids, and you don't want social work at your door, and my kids were wee. So as soon as they got old enough, I just stopped paying my fines, and then that meant they were old enough <laughs> to be abandoned by their mom. And so then I could then I could do what, what I felt was the right thing to do, and refuse to pay a fine. I got a lot of community service before that. They didn't bang me up and get social work involved. I came up that. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That that. So, so yeah. So for people that don't know, uh, so you, so you, did you change this? What exactly did you do? And then what? And then you got a fine. You refused to pay the fine. And my, I think paraphrasing you roughly, you were saying I can afford this fine, but there's lots of protesters out there who couldn't afford the fine. So I'm not going to pay the fine. I'm refusing to pay it. And then you got a fourteen a fourteen day stint in Cotton Vale. Uh, was that true? And what was it like? What was the response to the people? The prisoners that were there, and um, how did they receive you? Oh, that that's a good story. Would you believe it? Um, I everything you said happened as you said. I refused to pay a fine. It was a wee bit. If the fine was lowered, you got community service. This was a higher fine. I had changed myself up outside Parliament with comrades with plowshares and CND because with the message, if you're not going to do something in there, then we'll do it out here. So that was the whole thing. We had a fake submarine and we chained ourselves to the gates and it caused us to shake. We got arrested, blah, 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 refused to pay this fine that was over £250, so that means you can get 14 days in prison. So eventually, um, court case and that, sheriff court, and I just said, no, I'm not paying the fine. And uh, they said, well, we've no option to give 14 days. And I said, that's fine, I'll take my 14 days. So um, off I went to Cottonville. I'm a rubbish prisoner. First of all, I fell asleep in that stupid van to take you to prison. And nobody should fall asleep in that. It's a slightest seat. It's rubbish. And I managed to have a kip in it. Um, <laughs> I ran to the Cottonville. Go in. The last you said heard on the radio that 
I was coming in and there was lasses that sweep, you know, they were sweeping and mopping the corridors at Cotton Vale at the Bruce Wing where they took you in. And then uh, they picked up the big road cones that were warning you about the slippy ground. They picked up the big road cones and they were shouting, Save the whale! Road cones! <laughs> it was brilliant. It was brilliant. But when you get into jail, you've not got anything. Um, you've no shampoo, you've no nothing. You get toothpaste and a toothbrush. And you've got nothing until you earn enough money. You get your wee allowance. You've got fa- I had my fags of smoke and I had my fags. Um, but... Yeah, tobacco or phone money, or money for the phone or tobacco, and if you don't smoke, you get a wee bit more money for the phone. Yeah, don't ask me how I know that. So the lassies all came in my, visited me at my cell, the, the, the other lassies, they were all young, they all had addiction problems, they all had mental health problems. Um, coming for Paula, because I did, this was the first time in my life I'd been the most healthy person in the room, so it was cracking, but they were giving me bags of chocolate, wee shampoo, and all these wee things, and it's no like, my wings were worried sickly, so I was going into prison to get a doing and all that, and or get chipped or something, but it's no like that, and the lassies were genuinely kind, and they were poor souls, we met every day, and we had great big chats and about the world and what these women had been through in their lives. Oh my God, you know what I mean? So um, I learned a lot in there and I had a lot of comfort in there. My mother and father had died a month within, within each other four weeks and my mother had just been, no with that, my mother had just been buried and I went into jail. And they looked after me in jail. They were kind to me and they looked after me. And I actually, I'm not saying it was a spa, but I did get some space and some time. And I just, you know, it's, your liberties are gone. You, you know, it's no nice. It's no funny. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, it's precarious. You don't know what might happen, you know. But, but then I suppose, but, but you've got the, the, you're seeing people that are actually stuck in there for really long stretch sentences, so it's hard you to feel sorry for yourself. So all you, you can do is feel gratitude. I, I had CND were sending flowers to me. I had um, people, my daughter, visit me. Not these poor women. They might be in Cotton Vale, but their family might be fearing for this. You know what? It's just I was very, very fortunate, and at any time I could have paid my fine and they would have let me go. So. You know, I, I learned a hell of a lot in there, and that's why I think it was important for me to go there and do that. Um, and we went back every International Women's Day. We often go back to Cotton Vale, although it'll soon be no longer there, but a better system is coming into place. But we would go every year and set off fireworks at International Women's Day, wave to the women and shout, and they would hold three wings up. I mean, it's dead bad. But they're all in there for economic crimes at the end of the day. That's what that is, it's an incredible statistic about economic crimes when it comes to female prisons. Uh, just uh, just on that, sorry, I, I'm not aware of Cottonville's closing down. You said that there's a better system coming in. Could you just, what, what's what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, it's finally been recognised. I mean, there was a survey that said 99% of the women in Cottonville had at some point in their life experienced uh, sexual abuse um, um, or domestic violence. In fact, it was a hundred percent, but they did. They wouldn't say a hundred percent because that just doesn't seem to make sense. But it was a hundred percent. The survey that was done, I think it was two thousand five. Anyway, off the back of that and other things that we know these days, and the kind of prisoners that are in there, and um, there's Cotton Vale's getting tumbled, 
and what will be as is smaller, more open prison situations where women can be um, looked after. Please, it'll work out the way it's meant to work out, where women can be looked after, supported, um, and that they can keep their family ties so that they break the chain and their children grow up secure and happy and with their mothers. And that these women, a lot of the women in Cortonville, they go shoplifting in Sterling as soon as they get out because they want to go back in because they feel safe. They feel safer in there. Um, and they've got some sort of life in there that they recognise and that's constant. And so it's to break all these cycles, a more open planned situation um, and less, rigid imprisonment and less crowded imprisonment so that's the I can't remember where they're putting these buildings but this is what's happening, I welcome it and with the support that women need, they can break all these chains and help their kids to grow up know away from their mum and also to avoid the kids ending up in the same situation Absolutely, and um, you did mention Pollock which I want to get back to because I think and um, that's a really important part of your story as well. But we are live just now. Shout-outs to Raymond's in the house. Hello, Raymond. Hello, CJ. Hello, Paul. And Mark. Uh, go on yourself, Rosie, says Mark. Uh, James Stewart saying, I remember releasing balloons at Preston I'm holding the book because I might need to get a charger. Is that okay with you, Mark? That's all right. No worries. I'm just go, do, do your thing. I don't think you're going to do. I don't think you're going to follow the rules anyway. I don't expect you to. If that was a rule, which, which it's not. Uh, James Stewartson, remember releasing balloons at Presswick Airport, protesting about the rendition flights. That's right. That's right. We did well remembered. We tried to report it to the police that there was rendition flights, and we get met with men with guns. I'm looking for a charger here. I know this is all Vetland. No worries. And James also point. James also added, women sent to Pullman young offenders, temp, amongst others, at least it's accessible for families. Mm-hmm. So, Pollock, so Free State, and then we've had Iona on the show before as well, daughter of the, she may be tuned oh, in tonight, actually. Yeah. Iona, daughter of the, the Birdman of Pollock. For people who don't know, um, you should definitely watch the documentary. I don't know if it's on iPlayer right now, but it's usually on iPlayer called The Birdman of Pollock. <laughs> And an incredible documentary. It was just a little bit before my time, but it really filled in a lot of blanks because obviously I've, I've heard um, you know Darren talking about it and many other people being inspired by the story. Um, what age were you when this was all happening? And was this a was this a, a sort of a major part of sort of defining uh, your anti-authority stance? Well, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was a turning point for me. I'm just keeping going, right? Um, can't even. So, what is what, what was the public free state? What what, what was it? Oh, it was yeah, about a motorway. Motorway. So they were going to build it through a park. Our only park. Growing up in Pollock, it's a housing scheme. You get a wee bit of park. It's brilliant. And then what they do is, is um, they they put a road through it that was decided to be built. Oh, it was part of a plan. It was made in 1950. I could you know it. So in 1994, I think, I was going with my wains to visit my mother in Pollock and I saw a man, a Pollock, who would be calling the bad man. And so I went to see what that is. This is on my show, people. This is all in the show. And so I went to see what that was all about. And before too long, I was just, it was on Bellwoods, how dare they? My mom and dad, everybody, you know, the whole family, wee Darren, little Darren. 
he was only a wee boy and um, was there very often and I just became a motorway protester overnight. The pure laugh. Um, but it was really hard work. I mean, that was all arrestable as well. People were getting nicked all the time. And, um, you know, it was, it was difficult, but you dedicate your life to it. Uh, we were right. Because now we've got Just Stop Oil and all the concern about the environment. We've got the climate change situation we're in. You didn't want to be right, but we were right. People have been increasingly forced into cars, increasingly pushed onto tarmac motorways. Um, public transport is on its knees. And so there's no incentive to use public transport and so on and so on and so on. We were right. Um, and I don't like being right about that. But that was a motorway protest. And it was an incredible period in my life, and it made me brave. And I was, you know, howling at the moon and all that. <laughs> well, screaming at the security, screaming at the police. Um, so, yeah, talk among yourself. Do something while I find a charger. I'm really worried about it. Right, no worries. Well, I'll just, I'm just going to promote your show while you're charging things in. So, uh, Ro Rosie's got a show called A Working Protest. And I'll just, I've just put the link in the comments. Uh, if you're watching it on Facebook, Twitch or YouTube, it should be in the comments. If you are watching things on Facebook and Twitch, please go on to YouTube and you call that youtube.com forward slash you call that radio and watch the show there because it looks better and it sounds better there. <laughs> and it's better for the numbers if everybody's in the same place. But this is uh, the website here. Uh, it's on the St. Luke's, which is a fantastic venue in the East End, just next to the Barry's. And you can see it there. It's a, a, a working protest. Following her sellout sh show at uh, Glasgow Comedy Festival, Rosie Kane recounts her life story from being dropped in her head as a Wayne to finding her voice as an activist and becoming an MSP. Told with humour and heart, we get an insight into how an ordinary working class lassie for Polk became a thorn in the side of the political establishment. Tickets have pretty much, they're selling very well. But you will get a few left if you're quick. It's this Monday night at six o'clock. Sorry, seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Seven thirty. The door's only seven, so you can arrive at seven. And there's a wee bar next. There's a wee uh, bar next door if you want to get. There's quite decent food in there if you want to go next door and have a wee pub lunch beforehand. It's open all day uh, next door. So, um, but yeah, it looks a great venue, and um, ticket sales are going well. I understand. Yep. So get involved, don't don't mess about. Ticket prices are there, and I believe there is a discount code for certain people. If you're on strike, and there's a lot of the college lecturers, teachers, Janies, everybody that's striking at the minute, uh, are close to striking. Museum workers also close to striking. Um, the code is up the workers. Is that is that lowercase or capitals? It's lower. I think it takes both. So they told me that it's lowercase and that that's fine. So I'm going to, if it's if it's no, then try it the other way or send me a message. But it should be okay either way. It should not be case sensitive. Um, aye. And you'll hear all these stories, but I do make them funny. It's no dismal. It's hopefully moving. Um, I was I was a middle child. I've got four brothers. I was a middle child. Same here. Well. Mid middle child syndrome yeah, here as well. Here. <laughs> oh look at me look at me I'm the middle child um, I'm here I'm alive and I did have a catastrophic injury when I was a child a baby I was five weeks old and the question is did that take me on a path did it take me on a um, 
was I trapped in my heat as a rain? I was. So it's it's a story of serendipity. It's a bit funny how I saw the world, how Pollock looked to me when I was five, when I was seven. Um, I had another quite bad injury off an ice cream van. So there's a few stories like that. And it, and it basically, I would describe it as the, the making of a socialist activist using three ingredients, a socialist maw, a funny wee lassie, and about four decades. That's the mixture. And, and where did that take me? What happened? And how did I feel about that? And so it's all these shades, but it is very funny. Protesting is, it can be really funny. And you have to make it easier because it's difficult. If you're standing somewhere chained to something for eight, nine hours, you know, and we're not even going to talk about toilet, you know, it's that easy. <laughs> I was just the first thing I gave my mind. Well, so same as it is, it's men that fly in space, you might know about the toilet. So um, there's <laughs> a lot that, carry on. Um, and there's what happens when you get arrested, how does that look? And a particular Fazlane instant, no spoilers, um, a particular story I tell is about an event at Fazlane where my behaviour was just ridiculous. So um, it's things like that, and when I say ridiculous, I mean funny. The M77 protest is also in there, and a few other things. But once I learned about once I saw injustices as a child, I saw them as a child, I couldn't stop seeing them. And this is what the story's all about. I just couldn't stop seeing injustice. And I still can't. I have to do something. So, you know, I joke about if my gyro wasn't in, I'd block a road. If there was no breathing, <laughs> test goes, you know, it's kind of like that kind of thing. You're just like, I need to do something, I need to do something. So, yeah, that's what it is. But, um, Mark, I'm age 62 and I've decided to have a bloody career on stage. I mean, it's me. I, I was dropped in my heat. <laughs> well, actually, actually, stage, I think when uh, uh, it was a while back now, but it was maybe maybe it was early on. I wasn't sure, but you did great. I think it was at McCool's, and I think it might have been feel oh, better. Yeah, Is that right? I did. I. Years it was ago, Lorna. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to uh, Lorna. The, the, most people on the show know Lorna as Doctor Normal. She's she's doing some amazing, making some amazing music at the minute. Is Doctor Normal, but I remember seeing you that. But so you did two. So it wasn't just one, but two sold out shows at the Glasgow Comedy Festival this year. So was so was that was that more? Is this is this is this kind of so you're taking the sort of the joke setups that you had from August and then sort of throwing that and making it more like a full sort of lifetime story. So my question is: is it, is, it, is there a book coming? Is there a film coming? What's 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 next? Well, here's the thing. Um, I'm not a person that could write a book. I could I could see stuff and somebody else could write a book. I will never be able to sit in Mars long enough to write a book. This interview has proved it as I'm running about looking for <laughs> It's just how it goes. So that's never going to happen. But these stories are very personal, very important to me. So for years now, I've been putting this thing in chronological order. And then I was involved with a drama group. I had... Um, quite serious mental health problems with depression and, and things like that. And when I was an MSP before that as well, and since then. So, you know, that's always been there. And through getting involved in a women's drama group, um, the Women's Creative Company, at working class women, getting access to drama that would normally not get access to things like that. Um, my mental health improved massively. And I was encouraged to take the stories and things I've been talking about, things we'd worked on, 
I was encouraged by the director and the writer there. They said, you, you could do this. So I have been putting this together um, for a long time and taking bits and pieces. Maybe if I've got half an hour, I've done a few things up in Castle Milk, you know, uh, we calf for the food banks. So if they're having a night, I'll go up and do a half an hour. So I'll tell a half an hour story. And then I could tell a new story when I was doing um, the comedy festival and I did the Fringe. I did one event at the Fringe. So I can tell an hour, I can tell half an hour, but I'm desperate to tell the whole story. It starts in 1961 and it ends in 2003 and I've been desperate to do it and desperate to put it together. We props on a big stage and that's what St. Luke says, that's what I'm getting today. So it's just like a dream come true, but it all stems for um, my damaged mental health, you know, and I don't have any problem talking about that at all. And it's helped me immensely uh, in my head and in my heart to be able to to act out these stories, you know, to to develop them, to let them all flourish. It's such a bloody honour, and everybody should have access to that type of the arts, you know. I mean, you know this, you know this, um, that people get access to the arts, to music, to drama, uh, to drawing, to making, to crafts. It, it's ju- it just feeds you. And ironically, at the minute, you can't get a, a drama class at school. The, you know, the, the funding has been cut to the core. And now there is no su- it's such a medicinal and healthy education, whether you're a child or an adult. And that's what saved me. And, I, and I'll go as far as to say at times to save my life. I will go that far. So I've got a lot to thank the arts drama for and knew I can kick my arse onto a stage and confidently tell funny stories. I can move people to tears as well and I can play a kazoo. So these <laughs> are the magical things and, and that's where it came from. It's as simple as that. The, the arts is so important. I mean, it's just therapeutic. I don't know where I'd be with it. I'd... I worked in call centres before I got involved in in music and organising events and stuff like that, and I don't know if I could still be doing that. Uh, it's um, and it's just it's, I mean, obviously I've been quite lucky that I've managed to DIY it without a rich parent, without just myself, and managed to make a career out it. But it's been getting tougher and tougher. Ticket sales are because of the cost of living crisis. We keep our tickets as low as possible, but people are still not being able to afford to go. And I do worry, especially, I, I was going to fill out my first ever form, I've never had any Crepe Scotland funding or anything like that, I've never, I, I just know very good at filling out forms, I just look at it, I can't sit down long enough for the form, first question, what's your name, and I'm like, what do you need to know my name for? And I was actually looking forward to filling out a form, I thought, do you know what, I think I've got a chance of getting it if I apply, but now they've just lost, I think, I don't know, depending on who you ask, but millions of pounds, about 40%, someone said to me, of the funding has been taken from Scottish Government to Crepe Scotland, which makes me very concerned that, I mean, where's, because I think more now than ever, we're going to need funding to get these great pieces of work out there. Yep. And uh, yeah, and it's, 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 but the working class have never really benefited that much from the funding. How do we fix it? Can we fix it? Is it fixable? Can we fix it, Bob the Builder? I don't know. I mean, the the way it is, I mean, funding is essential. And if they're not going to fund it, how do we, you, me, people watching, listening right now, how do we find spaces and places that that we can offer um, for people to use the arts to build that confidence, 
so that at any junction in their life they can say, do you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you know. How do we find that? I think there's no a lot of strong will in behalf of the powers that be to empower the working class, you know what I mean? So it's up to us to... Some, I mean, this this is an example. You're, what you're doing right now um, is an example of how you make things inclusive and how you empower the working class. You know, we just have a bit of banter and we talk about what we're doing and then try and take it there. We need spaces. Spaces are expensive. So how do we find a way of using community centres, you know, that are quite, a lot of them quite well um, set up with lighting and stages and spaces? How do we maximise that to make sure that every generation on the planet has got access and space to, to breathe, to have company, to feel safe, and to develop their character and to find their inner self? I know that sounds dead hippy-dippy, but you know what I'm talking about? It's about confidence and it's about, you know, soul and mind. And so many people then find out they can play an instrument, find out they can sing, find out they can string a sentence together that makes people sit up straight and listen to them. And how do we, we can't wait to be taken. We need to take it. We need to do it. And I think the main problem is it's not quantifiable. So in this day and age where people want to tick boxes and say, you know, what was, I don't know, what's the fancy for language of what was the uh, oh, the outcomes, you know, the outcomes yeah what was what was the outcomes but there, there is no outcomes that someone might have learned to play Wonderwall on the guitar in a community centre and then they don't really do anything but four years later they they have a, a a stream of consciousness and they get they get inspired by something and then they go and write that they go and write some amazing original music uh, there's just there's no way to quantify something that might happen in the future and unfortunately that's not what uh, politics is designed for these days. It's a it's a, a, a box ticking exercise. But yeah, I suppose that's a, a, that's a good point that you're saying. We just need to make those spaces. I suppose maybe it is a way of maybe having maybe having people that can afford these things. Maybe charging them a little bit more or crowdfunding things so that people can get in that can't afford. I mean, we just did. A, we've got a gig on the November the eleventh, and what I just made everything six pound fifty for patrons that support the show. But the actual price of the ticket is twenty pounds. So try to make it as affordable as possible. But once again, people that... I know that some patrons are, are only paying £3 a month, but they're skint as well. So even asking for another £6.50 is a lot. Or after parties, bring your own bottle as well. So I'm trying to find... Do more gigs that have the bring-your-own-bottle ability as well. Not that we want to be encouraging alcohol use either, but as such as life that music and um, drinking culture does seem to go hand-in-hand in, hand in Scotland, for better or worse. We're not going to batter ourselves. It's a night out, so making that night out more accessible, you know, it, that's just one example. And then there's the example, as you say, the kid that picks up a guitar and uh, so on and so forth. And then, like some myself, who benefits by the fact that a woman said, come to this group, we have got funding, you come to this group. The group is now nearly out of funding. It's a shame because when I went to the drama group, Oh, it would have been something like 2010. Um, so that's quite a long time ago. And so everything that we did and every week that I went and a few wee different plays and things, beautiful stuff that had been put on and we were involved in and that terrifying taking a step forward and doing it, right? So all that happened for years and then it went away, nothing happened. Uh, and then somewhere in me, it soars 
You know what I mean? It just comes up and you go, I'm going to do a hang all that stuff I learned. I'm going to do somewhere. And so it's no even, as you say, it's no quantifiable at the time, so therefore they're no interested. But I could be right now um, depressed, unwell, stuck in the house, or worse. And instead of that, I'm collecting props. I'm making a massive stage situation happen. I've got supported friends, supportive friends on board. I am reaching heights that I never imagined I could personally do. You know, it, it's take. I'm not even worried about it. I'm not even worried about it. There you go. And so that is something that happened to me a long time ago. And then it just must have ruminated away inside me. And then I'm like, fuck it, I'm doing a show. So that that's it. That's that. So I would say, just do things. From Paul to Parliament via prison. Oh, the peas. I are the peas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking of peas. Somebody was saying, did you have a shiwi for the bushes? Who was that? Hold on. I'll have a comment here. <laughs> Winter, uh, spoke to Colin Fox for there go independence march. Is Rosie still speaking to Colin or Tommy or anyone? And has she got a she for behind the bushes? Oh, I think she's gone there. So, yeah, is Rosie still speaking to Colin or Tommy or anyone? And has she got a she for behind the bushes? Well, aye, the she Um Well, the problem is you can't go behind the bushes if you're chained to the gates. Come on, people, pay attention. So, if you're chained up to the gates at Baz Lane, it's not an option. So, you have to act. Go on a fasting session the night before. It galvanizes your bladder. I'm telling you, that Pollock Free State did it for me. My la- my bladder was galvanized, so I could do eight. Now I wanted for eight hours without needing a pee. I do address this in my play, um, and so uh, there is quite a funny story where I'm locked in, and it's been on for a lot. It's been too successful, and I should have got arrested ages ago, and I refused to back down. And I'm dying for the toilet. So that happens. That's a genuine thing. Um, but you'll hear the full story on Monday. You'll hear the full story uh, on Monday. All right, so Andrew well. Matheson says, kudos, Rosie. Uh, James says, get the kazoo. Is, have you got the kazoo there? Do you know something? I'm at my daughter's says I'm watching the rains. And I checked my bag because I'm never without a kazoo. And because I've got an overnight bag, I've not got a kazoo. It's quite an empty that's heard my kazoo work. It's quite stunning, I think you'll agree. And I write songs, and, well, I take songs and kick the reeds in and I put a kazoo sound to it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry I've not got my kazoo. Sorry. My sister I've got me a harmonica for my birthday once, and I was getting the train, I was getting the train home. And then I did a couple of pints, and I just, I saw, I, I learned happy birthday on the kazoo. Wait, sorry, not in the kazoo, on the harmonica, as if by magic, I did happy birthday to you, and I, I thought I was like a, a genius, some sort of child prodigy, I can hear the sounds, and I'm going to be, this is my instrument, because I'm not very good at any other instruments, but it was a fluke, and I'm, I'm also shy at harmonica as well, I've not really <laughs> had a shot at the, at the kazoo. The kazoo is, is brilliant. Yeah, I've had a shot. Colonel Mustard and the Mustard the Dijon Five. They used to throw in kazoos, and, and the Creative oh. Martyrs, another great band, they've got a wee, they had a kazoo section. So I have had a wee shot of kazoo, and it is fun. It's um, the happiest it, instrument ever. It always makes people smile. Uh, Colette says you're a bonny lassie, baby doll, and she enjoyed her years on the fish farm. Um, I think uh, Colette was locked up a wee bit. She's been in, oh, she's been in the, in the past, and um, she's got some. Colette, baby doll, she's got some she's got some funny stories from her times. And, um, Come on, Colette, get on that stage. Don't leave me standing by Oh, yeah, Colette, Colette, 
Colette's job is a is a professional heckler. She was at Gal's Adventures the, the last the other <laughs> week, so she just gives you pelters while you're on stage, Yay. and it keeps you on your toes. Um, but uh, uh, Ali Grant is here, late to the party, but here now. Great that people are creating things. Um, and can we bring her kazoo to the show on Monday, or is it a solo gig? Uh, I will. Oh, listen, if you want, if you. Bring your kazoo and join in when I do my kazoo song. If you've ever heard my kazoo song, it's to the tune of Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round Old Oak Tree. And I call it Pick Me Up for Prison Around Half Past Three. So my kazoo will go do 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 Like that, I'm going, hey, my have had enough. They looked me up and knew I'm in a half. I used my right to protest and wish I could tear real. The police came and lifted me. And put me in the jail with a blanket and a pail. So pick me up in prison around half past three. I was detained all night by her majesty. I know that they'll be watching on their CCTV. I won't make fun, I show my bum, they'll put the blame on me. So pick me up in prison around half past three. Do, do, do. And on it goes, there are four verses to that wee beauty. So there, if you want to bring a kazoo, join in. That's amazing. It's a lot of things. Brilliant. Bring the kazoo. Bring the kazoo. <laughs> it's thrown in. It's 50 minutes in. But I can't let you go. I can't let you go before uh, mentioning because uh, I had a few notes and I haven't even had to look at them yet. But there is, um, oh, I, I was going to, the, uh, the question was, uh, can you glitter a, uh, can you glitter a top? No, you cannot. You can cover them in sparkles, but you still. <laughs> A big shiny Tory and a labour court. <laughs> and uh, what's your what's your thoughts in the what was your thoughts in the mall? Is there any hope for uh, politics right now? Oh, I think it's the worst it's ever been. I'll tell you. They say don't put your daughter in the stage. I wouldn't put my daughter in the parliament. That's how bad it is. Um, I'm finding it hard. There's a lot of individual politicians in Scotland who are really good people and who are really nice people and who really care. Um, but sometimes you feel as if folk just get absorbed into a party machine and the best of them get silenced that, you know, takes the edge off them. Uh, maybe they have to behave, I don't know. Um, so it's hard times, man. But no matter how hard it gets, my, my personal issues. I think just having a party, a, a party of any kind, just kind of defeats the point because everyone's a hypocrite. You know, if you're if the opposition guys accused of having, I'm just trying to think it off the top of my head. But if an opposition guys accused of having an affair or something like that, then you let everyone wants them to resign. And then if it's on your side, you're like, I'll wait till the details come out. And then you're forced to vote in things that you wouldn't normally vote on in order to, to go. So you're kind of trapped in a political party. So my solution is everyone goes independent and then they can vote on their own morals and what their what their local constituents actually want. I just you don't have any faith in any of the, the political parties themselves. 100%. But just just when you said that you've got some, there's some, some decent politicians, is there any politicians that you would shout out that you think are doing a good job then? I'm not close enough to it to be absolutely specific um, or anything like that. Um, so yeah. it's very hard for me to say. But just. But what um, you're saying is that some of them. So some of them just been around for a long time. So I know them for the, the hustings as far back as 2003. Um, on 
on most political parties. There's never a good Tory, so forget that. But um, the others, you meet them, they're dedicated, they care about their constituents. Um, so I'm not going to go damn you all. I'm just not going to do that. It wouldn't be genuine of me to do it. But just the way things look the new, it just... When we were in Parliament, it was, it was a rainbow Parliament. You know, there's independence. There was... Uh, how many Greens? don't know if it went up as far as nine. There was six... I nine Greens, six years. Good few independents. Um, and so it was very... Uh, I think it was a healthy Parliament. I don't think it's ever been that mixed again. You know, and uh, I think that's a shame. That's what you need. Uh, independents are good as well, yeah. Um, Mark saying, um, talking about Keir Starmer, he shot himself, then, then gave it Mr Big Buzz. If you've not seen we're talking about Keir Starmer getting hit with glare. Uh, worth watching the video if you've not seen it. Uh, Colette yeah. saying, Mark, you can, you need, you, you twang a harp, ooh, ah, up the lasses, yellow on the boom is the only book I've ever read, must read, love baby doll. Oh, it's baby doll. Uh, yellow on the boom, is that what you're, uh, that's oh. baby doll, that's Colette. Uh, yeah, so uh, the final thing I've got in the notes, uh, we've got loads of notes, but we've only got, that's nearly an hour, and I try and keep under an hour, we usually aim for 40 minutes, but we're near, but I need to ask you about going to Cuba, because you ended up in a wee bit of controversy because you went to Cuba and met Fidel Castro, could you tell us about how that came about and what happened in Cuba? Long story, very long story cut short, I was invited to Cuba um, to a conference that was being held in the Cuban parliament, I thought it was a joke at first. And then I realised it wasn't it. So I replied, yes, I would go. And then two days later, I was in London. They gave me a Cuban embassy. Long story. Um, I do need to write a book, didn't I? And then I got flown into Cuba. When I got there, there was trade unionists and politicians all over the world. Um, it was a conference about the wrongs in the world and the misconceptions in the world and things like the situation in Palestine and things that we're all talking about the new... At the time, Iraq was under attack, um, embargoes, all this, all the environment, everything, everything was in this, and I get sent. But anyway, on the third day, Big Fidel Castro came out. I was calling him Big Fidel, which isn't if it's just cheeky, but he came out and was chairing the whole thing. And then in the third day, I had my listening to the translation, and they announced that Rosie Kane for the Scottish Socialist Party would speak on the hypocrisy of the West. No, I find it hard to sit down and read things. I, I get too distracted. So I hadn't read that I was expected to speak at this conference. There was probably 20,000 people. I don't know how many thousand of people were there. And um, I just had to get on the podium. Was I'm nobody at all. And I had to get up to speak. So I spoke about the hypocrisy of the West. I spoke about how young unemployed men, youth worker that I was, were being taken into the job centre looking for jobs and were ending up getting seduced by the army and before they knew it they were in Basra getting shot at. So I was talking about this hypocrisy where they're using young people, using working class as fodder and so on and so forth. And then I said, look, back to Glen Eagles, by the way, and I said, look, because everybody was saying El Presidente and I thought that sounded big fancy. So I said, El Presidente, like this. And I said, uh, we're all going to Glen Eagles to... And, to shout at George Bush and Tony Blair and all the duds. And I says, why don't... I can't believe I did this. I said to Fidel Castro, they will be a stone's throw away from my house. Why don't you come and throw stones at them? 
you can sleep on my couch, I said. <laughs> I'm living in a flat in Govan Hill, right? Big middle. So um, he said that was quite funny. And he said something about it doesn't throw stones or pick people up the ass anymore. He was too old. That was a loose translation. And then um, he put his big long Tim Burton arms out and gave me a, a hug. So I got, I got nearly got a winch off Fidel Castro and then I'm not allowed into America because yeah, I'm bad for America. Imagine getting bad for America. <laughs> I'm bad for America. So that's my Fidel Castro story, Big Fiddle and me. I've got Big Fiddle and uh, no, I would get the book done. Just just say all you need to do is just tell the story. Get a, get a, get somebody to write it then. I, I want to read that book. And uh, I've just got it. I put the links in the comments for uh, for the the so St. Luke's this Monday. Go and get tickets for Rosie's show. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio or you can uh, you can uh, join YouTube Super Chat is another way. And also we've got tickets for our gig on November the 11th, uh, which is at Room 2, Gratitude and Attitude it's called. We're going to have a gig on November the 11th at Room 2. And then we've got Nigel Clark for Dodgy confirmed, Captain Hot Knives, that's not even confirmed, but I'll just confirm, I'll just announce that tonight, we're announcing that tomorrow, not as uh, here we go, talk about that, oh, we go. So Gratitude, it's going to be Captain Hot Knives, Nigel Clark, and we've got three special guests to announce on the 11th of November, and then we're going to go to a wee secret after party called Attitude, and we'll be announcing some of the DJs tomorrow for that, I'll put a link in the comments to schedule to get tickets for that, and um, there was a comment about Palestine and Israel. So I think we should just talk about that briefly before we go. It's obviously, it's hard, it's hard to put any words what's going on over there just now. And I know that you actually had a situation in question time where, where it was this, this, it was brought up about Palestine as well. I mean, what can you say about it? What can you say? I was in question time. Um, Yasser Arafat, who was then the leader there in Palestine, he, he had just died. So that came up as a question when I was in question time. And I said what I believe in it. Um, that the oppression of the people of Palestine, because um, they were being, some of the audience were saying in the Tories, I mean, it was Edwina fucking Curry that was on with me. So um, it was things. Edwina <laughs> <laughs> Curry. <laughs> Can you imagine? So um, they were saying all these things and that were brutal about the Yasser Arafat being a terrorist and his people being terrorists. So I was pointing out that if you live in the most crowded squalor, the biggest prison. And the planet, which is Gaza Strip right now, and was and has been for a, for decades. If you live there, you grow there, you see your parents struggling, you can't get medicine, you can't get education, you can't get food, they can cut off your electricity, you can't even move, you cannot get life. Then don't tell me that you are not going to want that is the provocation. That is provocation. And if if you are in that situation, don't tell me that you're not going to grow up and try and fight your way out of that situation. I fought for a parking pollock. So what are people going to do in that situation? Um, and that's how we are where we are now. We don't hear the day in and day. I've got friends from Palestine. I know when they go through the security gates, some of them work in Israel. And I know that when they go through, the women are groped or sexually assaulted. Um, they don't always get through if they don't go to their work. Sometimes they just don't let them through um, they get trapped. You know, the treatment is drip, drip, drip and has been for decades. Um, the current situation is 
brutal and ugly, but the response for Israel is disproportionate. And this is what you're only the Israel break the um, war crimes are committed every day by Israel or the Israeli government and Benjamin Netanyahu being the furthest right, one of the furthest right in the world uh, of world leaders. And they have the nuclear terror, which they're not even meant to have. So, um, yeah, you tell me there's no provocation. I don't like seeing what I'm seeing. I don't like innocents getting hurt. Do you know that more Israeli soldiers died through suicide than do at the hands of anyone from Palestine? Die through suicide? So they're not even nice, the government of Israel, to their own conscripts. So, you know, I just gives you a picture of the absolute shambles that's going on over there. And until Palestine is free and an agreement has been reached and Benjamin Netanyahu gets toppled, I just don't see a way out of the current situation and I fear it could escalate. But right now, my thoughts are with the hellish situation in the Gaza Strip and the civilians who are just being crushed day in and day out and they don't see an end to it. Sorry, that's my bad. And the, the graphic that I brought up on the screen while you were talking there was just when you mentioned that. I don't, I've not sourced it. I've not, I need double fact to so check this, but this is um, the Gaza Strip in the Isle of Arran. And anyone knows the Isle of Arran, that's just off the Ayrshire coast. And that's 4,629 people compared to the Gaza Strip, which is 2.3 million, three, um, nearly 2.4 million. And the Isle of Arran is, is bigger. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a, a wild situation, but also double check those sources. By the way, don't don't take my word for it because there is during in times of war, there's always propaganda floating about. So double check all your sources for anything that you hear. Um, and uh, big ups uh, to you, Rosie. You're some woman. Hope you have a great show. Says Angela, uh, and well said. Colette saying watching there this you know, in a long time. Bless baby doll. And Ali Grant is excited for Captain Hot Knives. Don't tell anyone we're announcing that tomorrow. But I just <laughs> thought, since she's, I would let you have an exclusive that Captain Hot Knives will be playing on November the 11th. But that's the way in November the 11th. First up is this Monday, St. Luke's. Rosie's going to give her show. So hope there is still tickets available. Hopefully you can make it there. And anything, any closing words, Rosie? Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been an hour. It's flown in. Um, I've had a really nice... Thanks very much for having me on. Um, I like a wee... This is great. A wee bit of alternative media, real people, feedback happening at the same time. I'm really loving it. Um, I started off, I put on a bit of lip paint, I fixed my hair, then I had to go and look for a charger, then I started sweating. I mean, it's, I, I, I just, I, I'm back to being me. I was putting on a wee bit of fancy me, but now I'm just a shambles. But hey, there you go. That's what happens, isn't it? But I've really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, obviously we know each other anyway through my lovely nephew, Darren McGarvey. I don't know if you're watching, mate. Um, and, oh, Becky Wallace has written music for my show. For fuck's sake, I never said. Becky Wallace has written music for my show. So there. Is she going to be performing? Or is it pre-recorded? It's pre-recorded, but she'll be there. Um, but she very asked her, and she very kindly did. And she's written the most beautiful song for a very um, special part of the show. Um, and so, um, yeah, huge honour. I mean, I, I asked her, do you know what she did? She came up with four songs and I, and I, I chose one. She, she wrote four songs and gave me, I could choose one. I mean, if that's no class, what is that woman? Prolific. One of the most prolific songwriters. Becky Wallace, shouts to Becky and Darren. Joe McCann says, magic show. 
Dan's son says, nice one, Rosie. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in tonight. Take care, Rosie says, Greg. And if you're if he's on uh, Facebook or Twitch, uh, go to the YouTube channel and give us a subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Join the Patreon if you can afford £3 a month so that we can do more stuff like this. Um, Soapy saying, great hour of entertainment and chat, guys. Uh, for two belters, he said earlier on. And James saying, great show, guys. Dan, hope to see you all soon. Hope to see you all. And Monday, I'll, I'll, I'll aim to be there, Rosie. I'm looking forward to the show. Thank you, Rosie. Good luck with the show. Thank you, so Thank you for tuning in. I should call that radio. Mark, you really are. Bye. You are the little boy.